It's been a great weekend so far. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, my name is Jesse. I am the uh, encounter pastor, so I do grade 11 and 12. I'm the guy making too many noises in the front. And I'm um, just so glad you're here. And before we get started, I just really want to say on behalf of the team, thank you so much to all of you who have support us as uh, pastors and youth leaders and pray for our student ministries department. I know that students are on the hearts of so many people in this room, and we just... Um, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, bottom of our hearts of our uh, team. Thank you so much for your support, your prayers. Uh, it is invaluable and we, uh, we need it. And, and we just thank you. Um, as you all know, last week was Easter. And we celebrated the fact that Jesus came into this world, that he was Emmanuel, this baby God with us to deal with sin. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. That means he was all God and all man. And he willingly sacrificed himself on a cross so that you and I can have a relationship with God. Last week, we ended the service and the band was all here and everyone was up. We ended that service with uh, the song Glorious Day. Here are some of the words that we sung. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not alive. All my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name and I ran out of the grave. Out of darkness into your glorious day. It was a powerful moment here last weekend and, and one that represents so many of us that are here today. However, some of us are still caught in the grave or at least we're afraid to come out. See, our sin maybe for some is a weight that seems too heavy. Maybe it just seems like the world is dark and there is no light. Some are even breathing but are not alive spiritually dead inside. Yet others are just afraid to embrace the freedom that Jesus has called us to. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about what it means to run out of that grave, and we're going to look at Romans 8. So if you've got a Bible, if you grabbed one, take one up from the pew backs, if you've got a smartphone, if you've got some kind of watch device electronic thing that has a Bible attached to it, uh, I would encourage you to uh, look up Romans chapter 8. And uh, let me read uh, a little portion of the bottom half. We're going to start at the bottom and kind of work our way back to the top. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 31 to 34, will give us a framework about where we're going to go. Romans 8, 31 to 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also be with him? Graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who in, indeed is interceding for us. I want to uh, just break this down, and it's going to give us a little framework to kind of set our stage today. In verse 32, it says, For 
he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him gloriously give us all things? And, and this is our first point. God willingly gave Jesus up and Jesus took our sin to the cross. God willingly gave Jesus up and Jesus took our sin to the cross. And then verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is to condemn? I love what Paul is doing here. He's trying to drive home this idea that if you've given Jesus, if you've asked Jesus into your life, if you've given Jesus your sin on the cross, then what's left to accuse? It's gone. It's on to him. Who's left to condemn you? Are you not set free? The rest of 34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. All of this happened so that we might live. Again, we might live. We were dead to sin, but we are now made alive. That's why Paul kind of drives this point home in verse 34 with this series of questions. Then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? This is the other side of the cross. This is what Easter is all about. This is the gospel. The good news that we want every one of you and every student to passionately know and understand. That through the grace of God and faith in Jesus... We are placed in the Father's hands. And nothing can separate us from that love, from that spot. When I was um, 12 years old, um, I was very, very far from God. Um, I desperately needed this good news. Uh, I was extremely far. I felt unloved unwanted, and I felt all alone. All of that equaled a pain in my life that had an outburst of sin. And I was just a wrecking ball. I was just an outburst. I, I, I sinned as much as I could, and I just was kind of a wreck to everyone around me. Then one day, um, my grandparents called me up, and they're like, Jesse, do you want to go for ice cream? I'm like, uh, yeah, I want ice cream. And so they drive me to ice, for ice cream. Um, but we drive past the usual place and we get to this like attraction outside of Vernon, uh, BC where I grew up. And I'm like, yeah, double ice cream and thing. This is going to be great. And I get out of the car and I hear a click, like, like a door being locked. And my grandma rolls down her window and she says, that's the youth pastor. He has your money and he's giving you a ride home. Bye. My grandparents tricked me into going to youth group. My grandmother lied to me. She took me, she, we're going to go for ice cream. There was no ice cream. <laughs> Why did my grandparents do that? Why did my grandmother and grandfather do that? Well, I think, I think they saw a hole in my heart. They saw something in my life that needed to be fixed. I think they saw how much pain I was in and, and how it threatened to consume me. And so... At the time, I was trying to fix it. I was trying to solve all of my own problems. I thought I could solve the world. I could fix it. But I didn't know that I had no power to. 
Needless to say, that night I was angry, like not impressed. And so uh, I swore as much as humanly possible. Uh, I tried to start some fights. I lied. And uh, in full honest, like confession moment, I peed off a bridge, tried to pee off a bridge onto a kid. Um, like I was like, I'm going to get kicked out of this thing, man. Like I'm not coming back. But my youth pastor never gave up on me. After that night, he chased after me and encouraged me to keep coming back. Finally, I was like, dude, fine. I'll come to your group thing, whatever. But it started a year-long journey towards God. My pastor and my leaders helped me understand that I needed a Savior, that I was loved, that I was forgiven, that in Jesus, we had a, I had a home and a family. That's our second point, that in Jesus, we have a home and a family. And for the first time ever, I knew that I was not alone. So in the summer going into grade nine, I asked Jesus into my life. I fell in love with the God of the universe who put the stars in place. I fell in love with the fact that God loved me despite what I had done. That he chose to sacrifice himself for me. But it ended up being deeper than that. I fell in love with what Paul says at the bottom half of chapter 8 in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our desire in student ministries, my desire that drives my life is that every student would come to know this reality. That every person here, every student I come in contact with would know that God loves them. See, we live in, and I lived in at that time, a strings-attached world. A strings-attached love kind of world. It's a, I love you if you do something. But while we were still sinners... Jesus, in his grace, chose us. Chose to sacrifice himself for us. We didn't deserve it, but he chooses to love. This leads me to the question that I really want us to break down today. What I want to hope that we're going to answer. It's the same question that I've probably been asked every uh, week of my youth ministry career for the last 18 years. Jesse, if all of this is true, if everything that you've just said, I believe it to be true, then why do I keep on sinning? Why do I keep on struggling? Why am I not free? I think Paul gives us some answers in our text, but we got to go back up to verse 1 and watch how he builds the foundation. So let's go to um, Romans 8, verse 1, and we're going to break it down a little bit. Verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is really just summarizing the previous two chapters and really can break it down into this. And this is our third point, that in a post-Easter life, there is no condemnation for those found in Jesus. In a post-Easter life, there is no condemnation for those found in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free and in Christ Uh, set you free in 
in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is the why. The Spirit has set you free and made you new. That's why there's no condemnation. You're new. You've been set free. Okay, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin to the flesh. In order that righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What Paul is really getting at here is that this is not about law and works. The law is not going to get you there. Neither is working harder. It's the fact that in Jesus, all of this is fulfilled. In Jesus, our sin goes on to him. Um, this is a tricky concept. Even as adults uh, in student ministries, we sometimes talk about it in this, in this way. Uh, think of your life as this giant whiteboard, right? So big old whiteboard. And whenever you sin, like your sins are written on the whiteboard, right? Like that screechy noise that the whiteboard makes. That's all that stuff. So you're doing your sin. All your sins go on the whiteboard. When we encounter Jesus and we ask him into our lives... We have already talked about the fact that Jesus takes away our sin and takes it upon himself. And so what we often picture is this holy eraser. this like God's magic holy whiteboard eraser. And he whiteboards, he whiteboards the thing clean, right? But as we all know, even as Christians, we still sin. We still make mistakes. We are trying to be more and more like Jesus but we still sin. And so sometimes sin goes back up on the whiteboard. And then we ask for forgiveness and the cycle repeats itself. And the holy eraser comes. And he wipes it clean. This is how we think it works. But the problem is that it's not really quite right. This is our fourth point. The reality is that our sin is etched into the flesh of Jesus on the cross. Let me say that again. Our sin is etched into the flesh of Jesus on the cross. By grace, it has been removed from us, but it goes somewhere. And that transfer had a cost. Your sin just doesn't magically disappear with the holy eraser. It moves from your life onto the body and flesh of Jesus on the cross. And Jesus pays the transfer price for our sins to be etched onto him. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul's establishing that in a post-Easter life, there's really two options. In the Spirit or in the flesh. There's only two options. In the Spirit or in the flesh. Let's look at in the flesh first. Verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This, Paul is making it real simple here. Flesh equals death. Think sin, think spiritual death. Basically, when we choose self over God, sin is really the choice of self, me, 
over God. When we choose self over God, it leads to hostility towards God, an unwillingness to submit, and in the end of the day, it means that we just stay in our graves. We stay spiritually dead. We just stay in the grave. But there's a second option, isn't there? Verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of Christ or spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If you have the spirit of Christ in you, if you've said yes to Jesus and accepted him, then Christ's spirit now dwells in you. You are now different. And so verse 11 kicks in. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You've been raised and you can walk out of the grave. That is your reality. That is where you are. You've been set free. If you say yes to Jesus, then the tomb is not your home and you can walk out and go into all that God has for you. However, the challenge is, is that sometimes as Christians, we don't. We know that we've been made new in Jesus. We know that we've been set free from our sin. But we seem to be unwilling to follow Jesus out of the grave. And Paul knows this. It's why he goes on in verse 15 to 17 to say, uh, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul's bringing this whole thing together and he says this, all of Jesus is in you. We are made new. The old is gone. The new has come because the spirit dwells in you. If that spirit dwells in you, then he's calling you to get out of the grave and come on out into new life, wholeness, relationship with him. The door has been set free. You can go. You're welcome to leave this tomb. Pastor Jesse, slow down. He's getting all worked up. And you haven't answered the question. Why do I still sin? Why do we still struggle? Why are we not free? When it comes down to it, we have trust issues. We have trust issues. We read these words in Romans, in Romans 8, 37 again. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We read them. 
We read these words. And we know what's behind them, right? Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who has raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. We see these words on the page. We read them, but we don't actually trust that they're true. Instead, we ask this question, will you be there? Will you be there when my grades are falling through the floor and I'm stressed out of my mind? Will you be there when I've lost my job and I'm not sure where the next meal is going to come in my home? Will you be there when my marriage is falling apart and divorce seems like it's the only answer? Will you be there when life seems so overwhelming I'm not sure I can go on? Will you be there when the person I love more than anything in life has just died on a hospital bed of cancer? Will you be there, God. Are you there? Do you care? Because we are unsure, we lack trust, and it causes us to put one foot back in the grave. Because we're unsure, we lack trust, and it causes us to put one foot back in the grave. See, we basically, we hedge our bets. Just in case Jesus doesn't quite come through, we can go back, right? Just to our old life, our old habits, back to the world that I thought I could control. Just in case Jesus doesn't come through. So this year, just a few months ago, Twiley and I, my wife, we celebrated 15 uh, years of marriage. Yes, we are this young looking. Um, we got married at 18, or 19 and 21, uh, little babies. And for 10 of those years, we struggled with infertility. We cried out daily, weekly, yearly for a decade. Are you there, God? Do you care? Are you even listening? Why do I have these desires for this family and you're not giving it to me? Where are you? Then three and a half years ago, um, our twin daughters were born. At 26 weeks, they weighed two pounds. Go home, grab two blocks of butter from your fridge, put them together, and they were kind of smaller than that. This is my wedding ring. And um, one day, um, I put this ring, I think it was on Scarlett's hand, and then I realized that her hand could fit through this ring. And so her, her wrist and her forearm, and my ring went all the way to her armpit. My baby girls were tiny and precious and so small. We cried out, where are you? Are you here? Am I in your hand, God? We were so tempted. I was so tempted to put one foot back in the grave because I thought I could control the situation. I thought I could fix it. I thought I could go back and fix some mistake or rewind the clock somehow. I thought I could do something about it. See, this is the other side of Easter. It is a journey of trust and faith. 
Will we trust that God is who he says he will be? That he has saved us from our sins, that he has a plan and a direction for our lives, that he truly loves us. Will we trust that God can see what I don't see? Will we actually trust that he's going to be God? And then when we have the faith to recognize that he's got us in his hands, that he's not going to let us go, will we have faith and trust? Will we believe that God is who he says he's going to be? I can speak for our entire department um, and also for myself that I've dedicated my life to answering that question for our students. 100% the answer is yes. Yes, 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 yes. God is a promise-keeping God. So get out of the grave. Go into new life. Go into fullness. Go into the arms of your Savior. Yes. Yes. God is a promise-keeping God. So as I sat in the NICU watching my girls fight for life, I was praying for God to show up. For God to just be there. Because I didn't have any choice. I was out of options. I couldn't control anything. And then there was a moment, and I don't know which twin it was. Get over it. There was a moment um, that I put my hand in the little incubator. And um, one of my girls, I'm not sure which one, um, reached out and for the first time ever grabbed the tip of my finger. It squeezed. Her whole hand is the size of the tip of my finger. And she just squeezes. And in that moment, I knew that God was speaking. Jesse, I'm here. Jesse, I got you. I'm holding you. I, I got this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruler, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe today is the day you need to take your foot out of the grave. Maybe today's the day you need to come on out because the hand of the Father is reaching for you to say, I got this. I got you. Come on out of the grave. I got this. Because you're mine. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much that you are a promise-keeping, loving Father. God, we thank you that you uh, do not just leave us into our, the graves of our old life, God, but that you've done something about it, that you sent Jesus to die for us on the cross, that you um, sacrificed yourself so that we could be in relationship with you. And God, that there, that there is life on the other side of the grave, that the tomb is rolled open, that the sun on Easter Sunday is shining and you're out there calling us to just go and to come. So as Christians, God, who love you but are stuck in their grave, God, would you call them out today? 
Give them the strength to grab hold and to trust and have faith that you are the God of the universe that put the stars in place. But God, for those of us here today that are just stuck in the grave and they don't even know that there's something on the other side, would you speak clearly to them? And if that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus today, then it's real simple. You just say, Jesus, I love you. Ask you to forgive me of my sin. I commit to following you all the days of my life. And then get on out of that grave. Come on out. Join the party, join the family of God, and let's celebrate all that God is doing. May God bless you all this week. Love you lots. Have a great week. You're awesome. And come on out of that grave. Amen? Amen. If you uh, want to talk to a pastor or you would like to talk to somebody, you're welcome to come on up here. Go to the Welcome Center. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great time. Uh, see a student. Give them a high five or a fist bump. <laughs>